the Making Sense of Life podcast, episode 25. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. I want to start by asking you a question. Do you have a difficult person in your life? Somebody who you find it really hard to get on with, who... Rub, as we say in England, rubs you up the wrong way? Well, today's conversation is on the subject of conflict resolution. Or maybe another way to put it is how to get, have a good fight or maybe not to, to get into that kind of interpersonal conflict. We're going to talk with Linda Outka. Hi there, Linda. Are you there? I am. Hello, Sunil. Great to be with you. Great to have you, Linda, on, on the podcast all the way from America. And we're doing this via Skype. Linda is the author of a book called Pebbles in My Shoe, Three Steps to Breaking Through Interpersonal Conflict. And it's a very a simple book, only just over 125 pages. But, it's in, but don't let that deceive you. It's enormously powerful and practical um, in, in, in the message it has in dealing with difficult people in our lives. And I'm sure it's a subject that's relevant to every single one of us. So welcome, Linda. It's such a privilege to have you here on, on the program with us. Thank you, Sunila. I'm honored to be here. So for those of you who don't know, Linda is a certified coach, speaker, and trainer. She's the founder of Breakthrough Solutions, Inc., which creates a safe space where people feel safe to be real and discover new insights that open doors to their potential. She's also a founding partner on the John Maxwell team of coaches, and uh, regular readers on the blog will know that we have a, a number of different articles from John Maxwell there. And she's married, and uh, more importantly, she's married to Troy, and they have three children, um, two boys and a girl between the ages of uh, 8 and 20. And Linda's website is www.lindaoutka, that's O-U-T, Linda, L-I-N-D-A, then O-U-T-K-A dot com. So Linda, let's get into the book. And uh, you say at the back of your book, Relational hurts are like pebbles in our shoes, or in England we like to say like, like, stone, like, like a small stone in our shoes. Strained relationships, failed conversations and unresolved conflicts drain our energy and sabotage our success. Now, I'm sure all of our listeners can identify with that. But Linda, I want to ask you, what first got you interested in, in this subject? Great question. The the first year out of college, I went to college and graduated and immediately went on the road with a singing and drama team for nine months. So just picture seven women, four men in a van for nine months. 
and we traveled all over North America, stayed for a week in each community that we uh, chose to to minister to. And what I found is that in that close community, that close context, that conflict was a natural part of everyday life. And we even spent our days off together. We could not get away from one another. And so it was, I had a realization that conflict does not go away by ignoring it. And I, I found, yes, and, and so I figured out if I don't resolve it and, and do something with it, it will fester and, and get worse. Okay. And so that sort of sparked your interest in it, as, as it were, in, in terms of, as you said, on that long, that low, long road trip with so many of you in close quarters together. And it's, it's, it's gone on, because I mean, that, that was how many years ago? Oh, that is a great question. That was uh, 30 years ago. So that dates just a tad, but I have been interested in conflict resolution since. And I, I ended up in my career going into public relations and human resources and first in a nonprofit organization and then transitioned to a corporate environment. And wherever I went, whether it was in a Christian environment. I even went on, on a missions trip over the summer between my junior and senior year. I spent a summer in Guam and I was with missionaries. I thought even here where it should be utopia, there is conflict. Following God, and following God they should all, you know, everybody has good intentions. Shouldn't we be exempt? That's right. We all love God. Why shouldn't we be exempt from conflict? And, and I, I realized that it really is everywhere. And, and what I say is when there's more than one person in the room, there's potential for conflict. In fact, when I'm the only one in the room, there's potential for conflict. And so I have found that by resolving conflict, we can walk with more freedom and uh, work with less bogging us down. And what I like to, I talk about pebbles in our shoe or bricks in our backpack, a metaphor for uh, annoyances or, or when we have a, a heaviness that we carry throughout the day, it's distracting when we're in the same room with that person that we have unresolved conflict with. It, it, it zaps our energy. And so I believe that we don't need to walk uh, with pebbles in our shoe, that if we have a model, if we have tools to get those pebbles out of our shoe, to resolve those conflicts, we can be in a relationship that's more fulfilling. We can go about our, our mission, what we're called to do, with a lot more focus because we're not distracted. We're not uh, finding that this energy is leaking out every day because we have not resolved the conflicts that we have with those people, either that we live with at home or that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. And, and as you say, you know, it's all... You know, having interpersonal conflicts is, is part of being human. You, see, you say on page eight of the book, we don't wake up in the morning with the intention of offending a family member, a co-worker, or the person behind the, the lunch counter that day. But everyday conversations can quickly go awry without warning and someone gets offended. It happens to me and, I, and I'll bet it happens to you. Well, you're right, Linda, it certainly does. So while the experience is universal, and, and you've alluded to this, the ways we handle such conflict varies enormously. Um, and but but I think you found in in your research and in your experience that there are patterns in ways that we get stuck. I mean, you mentioned one of them, didn't you? I think just that, I mean the most common probably is just to try and ignore it and suppress it. But 
what about other ways? How, how else do we try to um, deal with conflict? And, well, you, you mentioned it, and I'll, I'll call it what we call it, at least in the United States, is we give each other the silent treatment. We find that if we don't seem to know how to resolve something, that we just ignore it. And yet there's, there's power in conversation. And when we ignore a person, the, the relationship stops. The potential of the people in that relationship stops. And that's why the silent treatment is so potent uh, and so toxic. So that is one way that we often try to handle it. Another way is sometimes we let it go and let it go and let it go and we we stuff it or we absorb it until one day we blow up. And then it what happens is uh, we leave casualties in our wake. And so many times when we don't deal with it in a healthy way, along the way, something that might even seem rather minor can trigger a blow up. And then we really do have to do damage control afterwards. And if we were to take care of it along the way, we would have a lot more healthy relationships, but we would also avoid the potential for, for blowing up and, and really then saying things that we regret. And I think also probably in our minds, we, we have this sort of conflict going on. I mean, I, I, I'm sure this is pretty quite universal as well. It, it never seems, when is the right time to talk about the issue? And then we think, well, would it do any, you know, what's the point of saying that? Will it really make a difference? Or right. how do I start? Or if, 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 I, if I get in this, will I create an even bigger mess than what I started off with? Yes. It's, uh, so it's tough, isn't it? it it's, it's certainly tough. And, and yet, Linda, you've got, you know, you've got over 20 years experience in helping people resolve conflicts. And you've got this beautiful metaphor, I think, which sort of brings the book together about mountain climbing and going through three stages of steps. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. I, I love metaphors, so it helps me if I can picture uh, something that's symbolic. And so I use the metaphor of mountain climbing and essentially three, the three steps. First is base camp. It's the preparation. It's the it's the time to get ourselves in a good place. And like you said, Sunil, it's it's easy to procrastinate because it never seems like a good time. If we prepare ourselves and come to the conversation rather than just a here goes nothing approach or or you know they they have this coming uh, approach, we we prepare ourselves so that we are in a good place so we can come prepared to have an open dialogue, to be curious, to uh, ask questions rather than coming with a judgmental approach. So if we prepare ourselves first, the conversation is apt to go a lot much, a lot better. So the base camp is the first step. And then the second step is the ascent, which is the conversation. So uh, to use the, the, the parallel language, Step one is base camp, the preparation. Step two is the ascent, the conversation. And this part is not something we can script. We have to come with an open mind, an open heart, uh, ready to learn, ready to hear from the other person's perspective. And that's the key for making the conversation or the ascent successful. And then the third step is the summit, or what I call the gratification, which is the benefit of uh, 
a more fulfilled, enriched relationship. That's getting to the top of the mountain after you've done the hard work. Uh, then you get the benefit of having a relationship that is a lot more uh, fulfilling and it's it's one that you can go forward with. And many times, uh, and this is what the reward is, is, is many times the, the relationship is even better than before we had the conflict. And that's a secret that many times we don't always realize is sometimes we think, we, well, we can have this hard conversation or we can have a good relationship with this person. And it's really not an, an either or, it's a both and, where we can have this conversation and we can have a fulfilling relationship. In fact, these conversations, when we prepare our hearts, enrich the relationship to a deeper level than what we had even before the conflict began. Yeah, that's the exciting promise that, you, that, that I think that's really sort of gripped me from the book is actually that the conflict can actually put us in a better place than we were before. We sort of think, well, maybe we'll just get to, <clears throat> as it were, you know, we're negative, so let's just get to sort of to, to ground zero, if you like. But no, actually, we could actually be in, in a much better place. Um, yes. And as, and you talk about, you know, if we, if we think of the first stage, that being at um, base camp and the preparation that we need to do before what we're in control of, you say that we need to really think about what's at stake. And because if we don't know what's at stake, there's no point of doing the journey at all, really. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's easy to procrastinate when we don't take inventory and say, what really am I missing or what price am I paying by not resolving this? And I tell the story in the in the book of a couple of clients that work together and I coach both both of these clients and they had a strained relationship between the two of them. And as a result, when their team got together, they were not collaborative. They were not brainstorming. They were not coming up with creative new ideas because every time they were in the room together, uh, they were distracted by the tension that was going on between them. And they each had created their own story about how the other person was the problem. And as long as they were not willing to work on the problem and come together and resolve the problem, that was the... the the, we, as we call it, the elephant in the room. Uh, it was the, the thing in the room that, that they were not talking about. They were dancing around and it was draining them of their creative energy. Yes. So that, that's very interesting there. And I suppose the other big thing, isn't it, is what not engaging the conflict does. Because it, it, if you're giving that work example, then obviously the work doesn't get done in the way it should, but there are health issues for the individuals. There can be a seed of bitterness that can develop, and the overall level of health and well-being can can go down dramatically as well. Yeah. Yes, and sometimes we don't even measure that. Uh, but the, and you would know this, Sunil, as a physician, uh, is that there are so many people in the hospitals today, and many times the root of it is physical. Uh, well, the symptoms are physical, but the root can be bitterness, as you said, and resentment. And we're all in, 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 our, whole, in our whole body, uh, our, our mind, uh, and our spirit. We are, we are all one. And so when we have stress, it, it shows up in physical form. It shows up in, in disrupted sleep patterns. 
and so there's so many so many ways that it can spill over. Uh, and when we're not walking in freedom, uh, we're we're bound up or we're bogged down, and we don't we don't have to live that way. That's why it's my passion for people to get tools to be able to resolve these conflicts so that they can get on with what they're supposed to be doing and not be drained by those things uh, that are what I call pebbles in their shoes. Yes. So there is a lot that's at stake, um, much more by, by not engaging in the conflict. And so, as you say, the first step when we're in base camp is thinking what exactly is at stake uh, if, this, if this conflict carries on, if this pebble in my shoe carries on being there. Um, I suppose, yes, as you, I think you talk about as well, isn't it? In the same way, if a pebble stays in your shoe, it can cause lasting damage if, if you don't deal with it. Um, the second one, so on, on this whole issue about being at base camp, the second area you talk about is distinguishing between what is fact and what is story. And uh, again, listeners will know that in Podcast 22, we, we did a, a, a conversation with my co-host Andrew Horton on the stories we tell ourselves. But uh, you give a lovely example of a story you told yourself about your teenage son, Mitchell, and, uh, and what happened there. Yes, I, this, is, this is daily, and I'm, I, I am um, with you in this process of, of uh, resolving conflict, because as I was walking through the living room one day, I saw my teenage son sitting on the couch playing on his iPod, and I immediately jumped to the story of he has not unloaded the dishwasher, he has not done his math assignment, and I not only stopped at that assumption, but I even went further and said he is getting so lazy and irresponsible. So that's the story that I told myself. So what did I say? Based on that assumption, what came out of my mouth was uh, I said, Mitchell, I said, why are you sitting there when you have not unloaded the dishes, when you have not done your math assignment? And he looked up from his iPod and said, Mom, he said, when you got home from work, I told you I was stuck on my math assignment and you said you would help me later. And unloading the dishwasher is not my chore this week. That's my sister's. Wow. In that moment, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, he, he, he called me on it. My story was inaccurate. And I had to apologize to him, which I did. And it was such a profound reminder of how often uh, we create stories, we make up things, and then we act like they're true. And when in fact, they're many times they're not true. Uh, and if we start with facts, which is that he was sitting on the couch, that was the fact. Everything else was made up. And if had I slowed down and said, Mitchell, I see you're sitting on the couch. And, and the next step, had I been in a better place, I would have said, uh, tell me, have you had a chance to unload the dishwasher? Have you had the opportunity to do your math homework? And had I gone into that conversation with curiosity rather than judgment, I would have not damaged the relationship or needed to apologize. Had I stuck with the facts and gone with curious, curiosity and a curious question, I would have saved uh, a whole lot of damage that I did, which of course he forgave me, but 
uh, it just was a profound reminder that I need to pause. And, and your blog post that is right spot on, is it really that person's fault? They're irritating you so much. You talk about between the stimulus and the response is our freedom to choose. And we have so many options when we so often jump right to a response that's based on a story that we create in between that stimulus and that response. And if we pause and ask what what really are the facts and let's stick with the facts and hold our stories lightly, get curious about our stories, we uh, do a lot less damage in that in that line of thinking where we can pause and, and go to curious. Yes, and, it's, and in a way it's heartening to hear that even somebody like you with all your experience can... can can fall down as well because it's as you're saying we fill those gaps of silence with our own interpretation um, and it's so important to, to step back from that um yes and then you know and because it, it's important as, as you talk about understanding what am i feeling and then thinking about what was the other person's intention and i, I love the example about the things you say um you got this powerful phrase. I know that wasn't your intention, but the impact on me was dot 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 whatever it was, uh, and you and maybe with, um, you know, I suppose with, with Mitchell and sort of saying to him something along the lines of, um, where I've come in, I've seen that the dishwasher isn't is, isn't loaded, and and I'm feeling disappointed. At at that point, he might have said, "Oh, mum, it's it, it's um." It's it's my sister's responsibility, not mine. To this week, <laughs> would have yes. just made, would have made it so much simpler. Yes, yes, and that. And in fact, I have uh, a story that I haven't told in the in the book, but I uh, can think of specifically with Mitchell. Is there was a point in time where I felt like I had to ask him five, six times to do a chore. Uh, and I remember thinking in my mind, I, I need to have a conversation with him about this because I was feeling disrespected. And so I, I was going to give him a heads up, as I say, as we say in, in, in the U.S., is I was going to let him know. I was giving him a heads up that this conversation was coming. And so I sat down with him uh, at the breakfast table before I went off to work. And I said, I, I, Mitchell, I'd like to talk with you when I get home from work tonight um, about something. And he said, well, what about mom? And I said, well, I know this isn't your intention, but the uh, impact of me having to ask you five or six times to, to do your chores makes me feel un, uh, disrespected. The impact is I feel disrespected. So I, I talk about my feelings. So he knows the potency of his actions. And, and yet I, I gave him the dignity of saying, I know this isn't your intention, but the impact on me is, and in that moment, uh, before I even brought it up after work, I, in that moment, we took care of it. He said, Mom, you're right. I need to be better at, at, at responding right away. And I don't mean for you to feel disrespected. He said, and I will work at that. I will do better at that. And in that moment, it just was a, a two-minute conversation I took a pebble out of my shoe and I moved from my, my son is, is, is irresponsible and lazy. You know, that story that, that came to me in a different scenario. And I thought, wow, this was a real authentic conversation. And it restored 
the the respect and it restored the relationship and it just took two minutes it really was not a long conversation but i i allowed him to to know how i felt and yet i i also helped him realize that i knew that wasn't his intention yes and 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 i i love a little quote you got on page 35 you say uh when someone spits on you they don't make you mad they make you wet (laughs) Which makes me yes, <laughs> and uh, that's right. I think you, I think you give that example like a a little baby. If a little baby spits on you, well, you don't you don't, you don't read any evil intent into that at all. Um, it's it's the story you tell yourself. It's it's very very powerful there. Um, so yes, tell us a bit more then about um, understanding uh, intentions and and then what and and the other questions that you ask um, when you're at base camp. Yeah. Yes, and one of the things in my in my research that I found is that the root of almost every conflict is the assumption of negative intention. When we have when we create a story that goes back to stories again, when we create a story that their intention is negative, it's so easy to respond out of judgment. But if we can pause and say what they did made sense to them. What about their behavior made sense to them? And it, it, if we can just get curious, if we can just say, what's it like to live in their skin? What's it like to be in their shoes? And how did what they did make sense to them? It allows us to get from judgment to curious. And that's what's so powerful about even asking ourselves that question is how would a reasonable person do what they did? Yes. And it's, and it's, it's affirming and it, their own humanity, isn't it really as well? Because again, so often we want to rush yes. over that they're all bad and I'm all good and I'm the poor victim and they're, you know, and they, we know they're evil or worse or whatever, you know, it's, it's, yeah, but that, that that's great. Because what, again, to emphasize what they did made sense to them. That, that's the key thing. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And even in, in one of your podcasts, I think it was the stories we tell ourselves, you you mentioned something about terrorists. Was that the podcast? Thanks, Daniel. You said, you know, even even terrorists have, have villainized the people that they are about ready to do an attack upon. And, and even somebody who is in prison today, even the, the people who uh, did the horrific acts in concentration camps, they all justified their behavior. And so, what when when we pause and we say, what did what did <laughs> what were they thinking, right? Uh, when they did this behavior, it's not necessarily even about justice. Were they right or were they wrong? It's really the power is in curiosity. Is saying how did what they do make sense to them? Not to cast judgment, even though, yes, there are people who do evil things and they, it doesn't justify their behavior. But if we can even approach somebody in prison who might be a, a, a felon, a, 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 an accused and, and uh, somebody who, who deserves to be in prison, if we can get curious about what made sense to them about their behavior in that moment, they felt like this was the best choice. Given all their options, this, whatever they did, their behavior was the best choice in that moment. They may have felt trapped. They may have been a victim themselves 
whatever. But can we get curious? Can we stay open long enough to be curious about their reality? There, that's the power in assuming positive intention or at least uh, going to conversations with curiosity rather than judgment. Yes. And affirming their own humanity as well, which I think is, is really important. Um, yes. So, and then you, t- yeah, and and then, so this again, we'll just say we're, 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 we're at base camp still and we're going to move on from there shortly, but... Um, you talk about this story of in the book of Leah and Jeremy. Jeremy, I think it'd be quite good to to maybe set that up for for our listeners as well about about that scenario, and then we'll, and then we'll then ascend from from base camp in, into the ascent, as it were. Yeah. Yes, uh, there's a, a story of a young woman who announced See, all, her all, all, all names have been obviously. Um, changed for protection of the innocent yes, as it were. the names have been changed absolutely yes the names have been changed and uh, to protect uh, the identity obviously of, of these uh, coaching clients so the the young woman uh, who I, I, I tell her story uh, in the earlier part in the base camp and then I reconnect with it at the end um, and she she talks she told me her story about announcing to her family that she was going to be engaged. So Leah is the is the young woman and Jeremy is her new fiance. So she announced, Leah announced to her family that she and Jeremy got engaged. And what happened is the family was not that excited, she said, uh, because they didn't really know Jeremy very well. And what happened next was that the family members started hearing things about Jeremy's past. And they started hearing that Jeremy had uh, served a prison sentence for not only using drugs, but selling drugs. And when they came to Leah to ask if she knew about this, she said she did not. And so Leah confronted Jeremy and he confessed that he in fact uh, had served a prison sentence and initially, the family uh, confronted him, and they had this family gathering to try to resolve this. And they asked uh, Jeremy how long he was selling drugs, and he uh, did not tell them the truth in that moment. So it further uh, put a wedge between them and this new uh, in-law, future in-law. And so that trust was damaged further. And so Julie, the matriarch of the family. A very difficult situation here. Yeah, developing. Yeah. Very difficult, right. And so Andy is the brother of Leah, and uh, he was the one that confronted them. Uh, and he chose to stay what I call locked in or stay firm in his beliefs that, that Jeremy did not deserve to be in their family and to be Leah's husband. And so he said, I'm not going to the wedding. And Jeremy tried to, to communicate, wasn't working. And so uh, they had a rift and still do to this day, honestly, is some of the rest of the story. Uh, Julie, on the other hand, decided that she would 
really go to God. She's a woman of prayer, and she battled uh, daily with a feeling of estrangement from her daughter. She was not only she felt like she was losing her daughter because her daughter Leah and and Jeremy, her new fiance, uh, worked it out between them. They uh, grew in their relationship, and Jeremy came clean and said. Uh, gave her some details about his past. He had grown up in foster homes and was very successful at making everybody believe he had it all together and covering up and wearing masks. And this was his journey on uh, toward authenticity. And Leah and Jeremy reconciled, but the rest of the family basically uh, stood behind a line. And Julie used this metaphor where she said, we stood behind the line and wanted to keep Leah behind the line to protect her from Jeremy. But what happened was Leah broke rank and she went to side with Jeremy. And so Leah knew what was at stake for her was she was going to lose her daughter if she would not, if, if, if she, if this couldn't be worked out. And so Julie went to her knees and said, God, uh, I need to be willing to, to invite you to change me. And so she, she felt God saying to her, you need to give Jeremy another chance. And so uh, one of the steps that we haven't talked about yet in the base camp is the question, what part have I played? And it's important in the preparation in the base camp to ask ourselves, what part have I played in this very place of being unsatisfied or disappointed or hurt? So I am in this strained relationship right now. Julie had to ask herself, what part have I played? Uh, because it's so easy to blame the other person entirely. And when we prepare in the base camp by saying, what part have I played in this very unsatisfying place I find myself? What do I need to own? Where's my fingerprint? Where's my DNA? Because as you could imagine, when we own part of it, we go to the conversation with less judgment. We go with more humility. We go with more openness. Because And, and even owning part of it keeps the defenses lower. It allows that person to realize that we are not coming to the table and it's not me against you with this problem in between us. It's me on the same side of the table with you arm in arm, looking at the problem together and saying, let's work this out. Let's come to this to this issue and, and let's brainstorm. Let's use it as an opportunity to explore, not as an opportunity to blame and point fingers. Yeah, no, that, that, that's really helpful. Um, if I, let, let me just summarize it from the base camp. The six questions are, what's at stake? What is fact and what is story? What am I feeling right now? What could have been their intentions? What part have I played? And then you say, what curious questions can I ask to create safety? And then how will I start the conversation? This is all, this is all the work that goes on behind the scenes, if you like, the, the, maybe the sort of the inner churning, maybe even sleepless nights even, and for things that really are very, very seriously at stake. Um, but then you said, we can, once we've done that, we've done our homework, we can now invite the other person uh, into into the conversation, uh, but you won't quite rightly point out that it, 
that actually they may just decline. It, it, it may actually hit, hit a brick wall, as we say. Yes, and I've had that happen, uh, and it was very humbling. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think God uh, puts things in our lives to teach us uh, some things uh, about ourselves, and I have had that, and I describe that in uh, in the book about uh, a relationship where uh, I'll call her Stacy, where I was in a nonprofit on a, on a board with this woman. And there was clearly tension between us. And I invited her to have a conversation. I wrote a letter and said, I, I know there's tension and I know that it affects our ability to work together productively. Would you be open to, to having a conversation about this? And I would like to know what I can do to make the relationship better. And she wrote back and said, I'm not ready to have that conversation. And so... In that moment, I I felt deflated, but I had to I had to go back to what I knew, and that is, if I knew her story, I would understand because she is a reasonable person, even though she has been one of the most difficult people for me in my life for the past twenty years. She's been in my life, in and out, sometimes closer, sometimes farther away uh, as far as my interactions with her. There have been times where I've interacted with her regularly and then uh, not so much for, for periods of time. But I have, uh, I've, I've tried different things. I tried the silent treatment. I'll be really honest. Uh, there was a period of time where I said, I, I'm going to treat her like I feel like she's treating me. And what happened was I felt like uh, I was shrinking inside. I felt like I was, I was out of alignment because I was treating her in a way that was out of out of alignment with who I was as a child of God, who I was as somebody who uh, wanted to live with with freedom. Uh, I and so I decided that I would just love her, that I would accept her for where she is in her journey, and that I would keep the door open. But I needed to keep my heart soft. I need to to, to be in a place where if she were ever ready to have that conversation, that I would be uh, continuing to extend that open opportunity. Yes. 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 No, thank you for that. I mean, if, if we focus in on, on, on the ascent of the actual conversation, and, and granted you're saying we, we've got, we, we can only take, do so much, as that's the phrase, it takes two to tango, as it were. Um, yes. We can play our part, but the other, you know, it's like a dance, in a sense. It's, you have to the other person may want to, has to want to engage, and you you, you give the points uh, there uh, in terms of f four points really. State the issue without blame. Give one or two examples. Share what part I've played, and then invite them to give their perspective, which is what you've illustrated there. Um, anything more you want to say on that? Yeah. What uh, What's important is to use the preparation in the base camp and to form a one-minute opening statement that starts. The ascent. So all the preparation is to get to a good place, and then in in one minute or less to do these steps where we state the issue without pointing fingers, without blame, as factual as possible, and then to give one or two examples that are very objective, not seven examples, because that feels like an avalanche. Uh, that and we feels get very like defensive, then, don't we? It gets very, very defensive, and and person freezes up and. Either wants That's to run away or maybe want to hit you or something like that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that doesn't get us anywhere. Once the, the, if a person gets defensive, what happens is they close down and they end up feeling backed into a corner and what they want to do, everything in their body and their brain defends themselves. And so if they are in a defense mode, they're not about learning at that point. They're about defending their dignity. And so if we can keep the defenses low, which is what all of this is, is designed to do, then we can have a productive conversation that's without blame. And we need to have at least one example because if we get feedback and they and people don't have any examples, it just sounds like the other person is having a bad day. <laughs> and we have nothing because what we've done makes sense to us. What that other person has done makes sense to them. So we need to give them an example of how what, what we mean when when we're giving them this feedback that something that somehow they missed the mark we need to give them an example or two in the most objective possible way as a video camera was recording it without a lot of story or blame or assumptions and then to share what part we've played to insert that this is the part i own this is where my fingerprint is on this and then invite them to respond. So all of that, that opening statement should take less than a minute so that it doesn't feel like a dumping session, but it opens up with clear uh, direction what you want to accomplish. You're not uh, being so uh, indirect. You want them to be very clear what it is you want to talk about, and then you invite them to respond in a very non-defensive way. That's right. And then as it were, it's it, it, it's it's very much us working together to resolve the conflict rather than adversarial me against you is, is, is such, such a key thing there. You've got some great stories in the books and, and, and I'm going to encourage uh, listeners if they want to get the stories they need to read the book. Um, uh. there's, there's some great stories that really illustrate this so that's the conversation as you said there state the issue without blame give one or two examples share the part I've played and then that invitation to give their perspective maybe something that I'm missing. And then we go to the final step, which is the summit and the gratification um, and coming to an agreement. Um, yeah, coming coming to an agreement, committing to action. And then you say checking in for a tune-up. And then this exciting prospect about enjoying actually a more fulfilling relationship than we had at the beginning. Yes. Yes, and that's that's one of the, as you, you uh, mentioned, one of those rewards that after the hard work, we get this gratification. And one of the things, as I've worked with coaching clients before, they say, many times they say, especially when they're leading up to a conversation where, where I'm facilitating it or where they are preparing to go in and handle this one-on-one -on -one with somebody, they tell me, Linda, I'm 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 physically ill. I I'm 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 feeling I'm feeling so much pressure, and and this is what I encourage them to to consider. I say, well, let me ask you: Can you handle the daily drain of energy that you have? Because we will we will expend the energy. It'll either be in one big burst where we have the conversation. And then we walk with more freedom and we experience the summit, we, re we experience the reward and the gratification. Or we have to choose the other alternative by default is to have this drip, drip, <laughs> drip of energy that drains from us every day. So we will expend the energy either in one big burst with gratification on the other side 
or the daily drain of energy that can gnaw at us and can divert our focus. Yes. So, as as it were, as we bring things together, what would you say is the most important takeaway you would you would want people to get from the book? One of the things that we talked about a number of times already in this in this conversation, Sunil, and you talk about it in your podcast, you talk about it in uh, your blog post, is is coming uh, with with curiosity to our relationships, is staying open long enough to ask the other person about their perspective. Because when we realize that we don't hold the core, we don't have the, our, the corner on truth, meaning we, we don't have all truth uh, if from, our, from our perspective. There, we do, we think because we think it, it's true. And it's the best way to think. In reality, if we can go to conversations and go uh, into relationships saying, I can learn from you, I am going to go to this conversation open to hear what you have to say and to be open to the possibility that maybe I have a perspective that's not spot on and accurate. So if we can go into conversations and ask a curious question rather than draw assumptions and act like they're true, we will have more fulfilling relationships. We will have more productive conversations. And I know you before before we did this interview, you told me I think you had this book in your inside you for a number of years. And since writing the book, any other particular insights you've had since then? Any additional insights? Well, you mentioned this already, Sunil, is that I'm a learner with you. In fact, just because I've had twenty years of experience helping people resolve conflict, what that says is I, I believe it can conflict can be resolved, but I myself uh, have to practice my own teaching, and there, it, it's outside of our comfort zone. But when we realize that an apology is powerful, when we realize that conversations are the workhorse, are the powerhouse, and what doesn't work is when we shut down, when we give the silent treatment, and if we can continue to have dialogue, that's when our converse, that's when our relationships get better. What we put into our conversations, we get out in, in our relationships. So if we put in prickly conversations, we get out a prickly relationship. So if we want to know the health of our conversations, if or we want to know the health of our relationships, look at what our conversations are. And there's a, a book called Fierce Conversations that they talk about in there. Uh, and it's a great, that's another great resource is uh, the conversation uh, is the relationship. So if you want to know how healthy your relationship is, look at what your conversation is on a daily basis. And the beautiful thing is, if we want more fulfilling, more authentic relationships, we, we, we have that in our control. All we need to do is to have more real, authentic conversations. And what's so exciting about the book, I think, is that it, it gives a very simple pathway to take that responsibility because we can't guarantee how the other person will respond, but we can take responsibility for, 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 our, for my own part, for our own part on that. Uh, anything else you want to, to mention before we, we wrap up, Linda, at all? Uh, just a quote that that has been powerful for me is, you know, we can't change people, 
But there's a quote uh, that says, and I think it's even anonymous, <laughs> uh, where how do you change somebody, you see them differently. Mm, how do you change somebody, you see them differently. That's a great quote, really. The way you see. Yeah. That's right. When, when we change, the relationship changes. So as you mentioned, Sunil, is we can, we can only change ourselves. We can only start with ourselves. But when we go with a sense of openness and authenticity, we see a diff we, we choose to have a different lens. When we look and say look at somebody else differently and with curiosity, that expectation of that person has if we expect that person to come with an open mind, if we expect that person uh, to have have high potential and brilliance, that we will draw that out in them. And so as we expect those relationships to be, as we plant those real authentic conversations, we will get that back and we will change our relationships because we change. Well, thank you so much, Linda. Just the, the book is Pebbles in My Shoe, Three Steps to Breaking Through Interpersonal Conflict. It's available on Amazon, also on Kindle, I understand. And is there going to be an audible version as well for, for those who, who like to listen to their books? Yes, it's not, it's not available yet. But that is that is uh, one of the next steps that I'm taking is to record it. Yes, it's on the way. It's on the way. And uh, if you want to get in touch with Linda, she's at www.linda, L-I-N-D-A, outka, O-U-T-K-A, dot com. So thank you, Linda, for, uh, for a great interview. And uh, again, it's Pebbles in My Shoe. It's, it's, it's a book well worth reading. Very easy to read, but packed with a powerful punch in terms of what it can do for, for your relationships. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now. <laughs>